runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 523, Azure in the Oil and Gas Industry, with guest John Paul Cook, recorded Tuesday, March 7th, 2017. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is John Paul Cook, who is a data platform solution architect in Microsoft Houston's office. Prior to joining Microsoft in 2014, he was awarded the MVP for SQL Server several times, and John helps large enterprise customers solve problems using both Microsoft Cloud and on-premise software. In his private life, he is a registered nurse and also a nurse practitioner student who wants to take care of uninsured patients when he retires, and he blogs at sqlblog.com. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you for having me today. My pleasure, and it's always interesting to talk to someone who works for Microsoft that's not in Redmond. Because I think it's got its, you know, Redmond's its own interesting little distortion reality field. Outside of there, I think you see Microsoft very differently. It is a little bit different, particularly in a sales support role like mine. I'm talking to customers all the time, and they're mainly interested in getting today's problem solved. Absolutely. You know, doesn't matter what the product is or whatever it is. What I'm using right now, I got to get it done. I know it's XP and I know it's 15 years old. I'm still using it. Let's get to work. I haven't run into XP lately, but I do run into SQL Server 2005 and SQL 2000 kind of regularly. Ouch. SQL 2000, man. And I got to think with your background in nursing, are you mostly focused on medical industry? Strangely enough, I'm not, but I am in Houston, remember? And what is the Big, big industry in Houston? Hurricanes. No, wait. <laughs> that's 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 uh, not a business. Well, it can be for some people, but it's oil and gas. Yes, of course. So, yeah, I'm sure that's uh, it's that's where the, the Gulf, all the Gulf work comes out of. So, I mean, yeah, it's got to be dominant. That's correct. And you have major oil companies headquartered in Houston, as well as major oil field service companies based right. in Houston. Interesting. And they seem to be jumping on the IoT bandwagon in a big way. And the, the, the data loads that I'm hearing about coming out of that industry are crazy. That's true. And since you have a broad audience, mm-hmm. I want to get across to your audience that oil and gas is not a old, boring, technological backwater type of industry. (laughs) People may think that, you know, if you're many states away from Texas, an oil company might be that company that provides gasoline that you pump into your car. But these companies spend enormous sums of money on technology. Mm -hmm. They are very high-tech companies, and they do generate enormous quantities of data, and they use this data They process the data, they analyze the data to figure out how they're going to invest their billions of dollars. When you have an offshore drilling rig, and it could be off the Texas Gulf Coast, or it could be offshore the African continent, they have rigs that cost a billion dollars. Yeah. They get very, very concerned about getting every penny out of 
expensive investment like that, and they really use high technology to make sure that their billion dollars is being properly spent. Yeah, I bet they're they're definitely motivated. These are large, long term investments. Indeed, you know, you're gonna. It takes a while to earn it out, and you got to keep it working. And you know, wells do run dry, and it's time to move to a new one. Like these are not not simple things to do. It's it's quite an engineering exercise. Yeah, very high tech and engineering. Mm-hmm. When you think about oil platforms, it's just sort of astonishing what we're doing these days. The depths of water that you see these videos every so often of them working on ROVs down on the bottom there, and the pressures are so great. It's uh, it's not a simple piece of tech. Definitely not. And where does SQL Azure fit into this picture? Does the cloud make sense for the oil and gas industry? It does in certain use cases. Mm-hmm. The cloud is going to be good for pretty much any industry when you think about We'll just start with one of, of many reasons, development, testing. Right. You need some equipment. You need to bring it. Uh, when I say equipment, you, you would, in a traditional model of on-premise development, you'd purchase a bunch of servers. You would test things out. Then you'd deploy to some other servers. That's a slow process. Sure. Companies can be far more agile when they start a project immediately by going to the cloud, provisioning machines in the cloud, Mm -hmm. and developing quickly. Your time to market is much less when you take this approach instead of issuing bids and purchase orders and waiting for equipment to arrive and getting it attached to your network. And that takes time. That causes delay. It's a lot more cost efficient to do your development in the cloud. You know, when I say cost efficient, I'm looking at, at all factors. Sure. I mean, provisioning a new dev environment, especially for an experimental project, it, it's not just the cost of the gear, it's the time. Indeed. The fact that you can you could just, you know, turn to something like Azure and go, all right, I need this many machines set up this way, go. And you'll have them in a few minutes. Literally in a few minutes. Now, there are other use cases that we're not going to have time to cover them all today, but let's let's <laughs> go, go from a, a very, the simple case that we just discussed to something more complicated. When you have a lot of data, as we talked about the oil companies having a lot of data, but many industries have lots of data, mm-hmm. you need to convert your data. You need to transform your data into information that you can act upon. To do that, you need a lot of processing power, but you may not need the processing power all at once. Right. That's when the cloud becomes really beneficial to you because you can purchase what you need when you need it. And then you don't have to be paying for it when you don't need it. And is there a lot of elasticity to these kinds of workloads? Like I can see Indeed. sort of a gradual sure. provisioning but and grow, 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 grow. But will you dial back? Yes. Uh, you know, you, you asked me about medical. Mm-hmm. Houston does have the largest medical center in the world, and they do a lot of genomic research. If you're going to sequence a person's DNA, that's a lot of data. And it takes a lot of compute power to do that. You can do that in Azure, and people are doing that in Azure, that they get the processing power they need, they pay for it when they need it, they have super compute on demand. Nice. Yeah. So that that's where the elasticity comes in. If you have, you don't have to spend uh, many millions of dollars on a supercomputer that you're going to have trouble keeping occupied. Right. 
What you do instead is that you have your data in the cloud, you, you process it in the cloud, and you purchase more compute as you need it. And then when you no longer need it, you scale back. Yeah, I love like a, a genomic process. It might take 24 hours with a huge amount of compute. And then when it's done, it's done. Yes. And actually in Azure, it might take less than, than the amount of time. They have some features specifically for that, that they're having, they're able to speed up sequencing in Azure. They, they have a specific offering for that purpose. And, and you're hinting an aspect that I think is especially interesting, which is the biggest problem about buying a supercomputer. And let's face it, I mean, the medical industry, the oil and gas industry, you could do that. The moment you bought it, you're, it's, you're stuck with it. Exactly. You don't, you don't get the new one. Whereas if you're renting on demand from a cloud provider, well, they're the ones constantly reprovisioning and building new hardware. So you may not run on the same machine twice. That's correct. You may not. Also with that is you're, you're not restricted to just using Microsoft products when you go to the Microsoft cloud. Sure. And a lot of people want to use open source software. And Microsoft fully supports that. Mm -hmm. uh, something like 40% of the virtual machines running in Azure are running Linux. But, you know, going beyond Linux, let's take a look at what kind of other open source software you might run on top of Linux. And one comes to mind, Hadoop. Hadoop is very popular in the big data world these mm, days. For sure. Microsoft's version of Hadoop is called HD Insight. HD Insight is available in Azure. So if you have this big HD Insight cluster that you want and run your MapReduce jobs, you can do that in Azure. Now, the advantage of Hadoop in Azure in the HD Insight offering is that we've separated compute from storage. Mm -hmm. You can put your big data in the cloud, purchase the storage cheaply because cloud storage is very cheap. And you can leave your data there until you need to process it. Then you spin up your HD Insight cluster, run your processing on it, pay for that compute resource when you need it, then tear it down and leave your data sitting there waiting for your next run. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, and storage is relatively cheap. It is. In the case, especially oil and gas with those offshore platforms, well, how does latency come into play here? Does it advantageous have the data center on the platform rather than remote? That is an issue with oil and gas. That's perhaps one of the most important differentiators to mm -hmm. that line of business. It's not just a platform offshore somewhere. It's also... Uh, the drilling rig that's in remote Montana, remote North Dakota, right. remote Texas, way away from population centers and high-speed fiber connections, that does become an issue. There are, there are different ways to deal with that. You can, of course, have your satellite link up and, you know, you'll have latency and bandwidth issues there. Yep. We also have a product offering that will be coming out called Azure Stack, mm -hmm. where we will provide an Azure center in a hardware appliance that you can install in your own facility, your own remote location. So we can essentially provide you a small Azure data center for your use where you need to be. I actually did a show uh, uh, at Ignite last year with Jeff Snover, where we were talking about Azure Stack because it was really announced there. And just this idea of literally this extension of the Azure Cloud, but for your own use. 
right up to the point that it's Microsoft that's doing the updating to it. Like you have to remain in sync with the standard infrastructure. I find it fascinating, this idea that it might be at the end of a, of a geostationary satellite uplink to a platform off the coast of Africa. Like, there's a cool cloud extension. Yeah, the, you know, the whole uh, satellite thing is, is interesting. Uh, we're going to see increasing bandwidth come from satellites mm-hmm. in the future. And we'll all, we're also seeing the low Earth s- satellites. Yeah, that, 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 that's that's kind of changing things as well. Yeah, because geostationary, I, I did a bunch of work in the Caribbean, and it's 300 milliseconds because that's the speed of light, kids. At 22,300 miles away, that's as fast as you get to go. So if Elon Musk flies this huge array of high bandwidth satellites 200 miles up, well, now you're talking ping times in the in the single digits. Correct. And, uh, and we then now really connectivity gets crazy. Yeah, it's called LEO, Low Earth Orbit. Mm-hmm. satellites yeah and it's a that's a big deal if we if we can actually get that well there's the iridium network but it's bandwidth it's just sort of painfully slow that's correct and it's expensive yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that they're ever not going to be expensive but i think for for particular scenarios like this especially a platform at sea could you ask for a better scenario for wanting low latency high bandwidth anywhere like you've got perfectly clear lines of sight because you're on the ocean like it's it's pretty compelling i think you're going to have to do that there's you know, talk of having ships at sea being becoming drones. And if you do that, you're going to have to have better infrastructure for supporting remote computers, Mm -hmm. uh, such as seagoing vessels. But I mean, again, the oil rig platform is big enough. It kind of makes sense to have a data center, maybe an Azure stack right on the, the unit itself. So it's data collection is super local. I guess you just want to back all that stuff up and be able to get it. You know, bad things happen to rigs. Oceans are dangerous. That is indeed true. Yeah. Do you have a sense of just how much data we're talking about here? Does it, do, do they tend to put in relational databases or do they keep it in quote unquote data lakes? Like what, what do they do with this data? Data lakes are used. Relational databases are used. There's a little bit of everything used. Uh, there isn't any one technology. And, and that's the thing with the Azure cloud, we can accommodate all of these different types of data. We, it can be relational, it can be non-relational, it can be Hadoop, it can be documents, it can be <laughs> JSON. We support all of that. That's awesome. John, give me one moment here to pay the bills because this episode of Run As is brought to you by IT Edge Intersection. IT is transforming and the techniques and tools you've used in the past decade or more are less relevant. It's all changing. Cloud services are reality, automation is penetrating all aspects of operations, and software is being delivered faster than ever. It's no longer a safe bet to just sit and do what you've been doing, but there's no reason to panic. The experts at IT Edge Intersection are here to help you understand how to use these new technologies, new approaches, and new techniques, all with a real-world focus that acknowledges the realities that you deal with every day. Make your job easier and up your value to your organization by attending IT Edge Intersection in Orlando, May 21st to 24th. Use the code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at itedgeintersection.com, and I'll see you there. All right. I'm really enjoying sort of exploring this, the cloud and the oil and gas industry, because it seems like there's a lot of options there. Do you bump into the IoT side of this much? Like, are they putting little devices on pipes and that kind of thing? Oh, yes, indeed. That's a really exciting use case. Yes, it is putting devices on pipelines and, and refineries and other equipment, but they've had these devices instrumented for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So new devices are being placed, but 
old devices must be supported. And Azure supports that with uh, the IoT Hub, Internet of Things Hub. It's uh, one of the features of Azure, and mm-hmm. it allows us to collect data streaming in, and we can process it in real time. There are a couple of things that I need to point out on how you actually work with streaming data. Sure. It's not really a, a Microsoft thing. It's industry terminology where we talk about Lambda architecture. We're not talking about a Lambda function in C-sharp. We're talking about Lambda architecture. Lambda architecture, when it applies to IoT, is when you have what we call a hot path and a cold path. Hmm. The data streaming in in real time is the hot path, and you want to analyze that data as it comes in. That's your hot path. You need to see that uh, temperature is increasing, and you need to take immediate action. Right. That's that's on your hot path. And, and Azure will do that. We have a feature called Azure Stream Analytics, which can handle the streaming data and process it and take action immediately. Now, this data coming in has other value to you. It's not just a matter of reacting to what's happening in real time. You're also interested in detailed analysis. Have your engineers go back and analyze the data and figure out what trends are and if there are ways of doing things better. So that's a classic big data problem. Sure. And that seems like there's a very much post-event analytics. Like you've got pressure building in a chamber that causes a shutdown of the chamber for safety's sake, but now you want to go backwards through the data, maybe even for days to see what were the events that led up to this pressure was increasing that we could have caught it sooner or dealt with it in a different way. And that's your big data problem. Mm-hmm. You're, you, need, you need to store that. And that storage is called the cold path. When you have this data and you're doing this retrospective analysis on it, you are going to need a lot of computing power. One of the things you're likely to do is to run it through machine learning. So Azure has a machine learning offering. We we call it AML for Azure Machine Learning. And it will analyze your data and it brings to your analysis the power of the R language. That is something that not all people are familiar with. And since I am speaking rather than writing, Mm -hmm. I'm referring to the letter R. Right. P-Q-R-S, the letter R. R is a language that excels at data analysis and data visualization. It's great for running statistics. It's been around a long time. It's an open source product, and it will remain an open source product. Now, here's where an analogy is helpful. Everyone's familiar, at least in this industry, everyone's familiar with Linux. Mm -hmm. When you run Linux in a commercial environment for production use, you need to have support. You can't afford to be down. You need to have people supporting you. What many, many enterprises choose to do is to have a support agreement with the Red Hat company to support the Red Hat Linux. Mm -hmm. Now, so I'm going to make an analogy. There is a company called Revolution Analytics that provides support for the R language. Revolution Analytics is to R as Red Hat is to Linux. Right. So they, in theory, Linux is free. In reality, in, in a, especially in an enterprise capacity, you free is not necessarily a feature. You need something behind it. You need something supporting it. Correct. So just because you didn't pay for the product does not mean you're not willing to spend some money and need to spend some money to make sure you've got some cover. Exactly. And in the case of the R language, 
Microsoft purchased Revolution Analytics. And that means that Microsoft will give you first-class support of R. If you're running R in Azure Machine Learning and you're having problems, you can get support not just for Azure Machine Learning, but for the R language itself. Nice. And the metaphor that is sometimes used is one throat to choke. <laughs> in this case, that throat is Microsoft. That's right. <laughs> Do you find, uh, I've done a number of shows over the years with uh, the premier field engineers who seem to be the most common choked throat of Microsoft. Like these are the guys on the front line with the big customers, the premier customers that, uh, that fight the, the good battles and make for awesome stories. Uh, they are definitely in the front lines. Yeah, no kidding. But this is all, I mean, it's, I think this is really quite leading edge stuff. This, this set of tooling around doing deep uh, analytics using leveraging the cloud. You know, back in the old days, we did this all on prem. They were multi hundred thousand, even million dollar rigs. And you had an army of white lab coats around them caring and feeding for them all the time. The fact that I can just sort of light up what I need when I need it and only pay for what I use, like, most analytic cases, they're short duration. In fact, the only reason it took longer is you didn't have enough horsepower. And you always have enough horsepower That's with right. the cloud. It's, it's there available for you. Now, Richard, we were talking about taking this big data coming in in real time, storing it somewhere, perhaps in Azure mm -hmm. Data Lake, analyzing it, doing a retrospective analysis, using machine learning on it. That is part of it. And fr from that retrospective right. analysis, you might come up with some new algorithms. You might come up with some alert levels that when a certain condition occurs, you need to do something. So there's a feedback loop. You've done this retrospective analysis, but now that you know what really matters and what variables are affecting your processes and operations, you're probably going to want to go back and tweak your hot path so that you're looking at the right thresholds and examining the right variables in real time so that you you can react appropriately because your 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 real time reaction is going to be. You know, I I would always fall on the side of protecting equipment, protecting lives, like that sort of thing. I'd rather if it's if it's behaving in, in unexpectedly, turn it off, right? Like make it safe. But then you're then you still want to understand why, so it doesn't happen again. I mean, in theory, if you get this right, your hot path hasn't got anything going on. It's just data is going by and everything is fine. Yeah, we want to keep everything running smoothly, but we want to get ahead of the game because still, if right. we're even if we're reacting in real time and taking care of problems in real time, ideally, we want to prevent the problems. We want to be proactive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's where you get into predictive analytics. And that's the ultimate goal is that you have all this data. And because you are able to accommodate the speed of the data, the quantity of the data, and that you understand your data, you're able to get in front of it and say, we're going to need to do something to prevent this common problem from occurring. When we see these things happen, we need to send a service tech out. We need to make a change right. before there's a problem. Going back to the, the scenario of just like this particular set of pipes or chambers overpressured, now that we know more about it, we see that thing happening. Before it goes into shutdown, we're able to say, all right, we'll turn it down to an intermediary operating level and get the techs out to start working on it before it needs to be shut down. That's our, that's the goal indeed. Now, predictive analytics, is that actually a product or just a process of combining all these different tools we've talked about? It's a process of combining all the different tools. That's cool. So it's, it's like, it's a, it's one of the goals you get to is to be able to start being able to do analysis that predicts what 
future behavior is going to look like. Indeed. Does that involve, do you throw the machine learning suite in there as well, or is that even necessary? Yes, that'll, that'll be a part of that. Ultimately, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I remember machine learning in the early days, and same thing. It was, a, it was a compute problem. We didn't have enough. You had all these different mining scenarios. You needed a lot of skill to figure out which ones to run based on your particular workload. Now I feel like with the cloud, you could just brute force this. Let's run all of the variations and see what we get because we have this near infinite amount of compute if we're willing to pay for it and just give it back when we're done. That can occur, and I do see that suggestion. Interesting to speak to academicians about this, mm-hmm. and some academicians are a little critical of that approach. <laughs> Elegance, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they want. Uh, they don't want the shotgun approach. Right. I've spent years getting good at this. Well, and and talking to a bunch of machine learning ev- experts over the years, we've sort of narrowed down to this: these two, the more advanced version of neural networking, and then there's this smart pruning of data sets. That seems to be the two ways that come out, depending on the type of data you're dealing with, that usually you know, generate the best results. Like, try these first. Then there are more subtle ones further down the path. That's right. And, you know, the academicians have a point, but you also need to consider that things have changed over the decades. Mm-hmm. If you look at traditional research and you go back, say, 20 or 30 years, there was data available. Right. But the storage costs were high. Yes. It cost a lot of money to store data. It cost a lot of money to process data. Processing times were slow. You had to be more selective about what you were doing because it just cost so much. Fishing expositions were prohibitively expensive. Now, you can afford to do things that you couldn't afford to do in the past. If you need to go on a fishing expedition, you can probably afford to do that with today's cloud. Well, and the returns are so substantial, I don't think you need to have that big of a win before suddenly what you spent on utility computing is and the labor around operating it is completely absorbed. Right. Uh, cost does drive what we do. Sure. And, you know, as costs change, as things become more affordable, you need to reevaluate and say, why did I not do that in the past? Did mm-hmm. I not do that in the past because it was the wrong thing to do or because I couldn't afford to do it? Right. Well, and, and making engineering decisions like this, you're always working with incomplete data. You know, you're not actually going to know that this was not a useful exercise until you finish it. So, you know, trying to predict, is this going to be a useful exercise, usually ends up coming down to, is it going to be inexpensive enough that if it isn't, I don't care? Exactly. And a six-month procurement and a six-figure number to figure something out, that's a much higher bar to jump over than I can have this done this afternoon for several hundred dollars worth of compute. Very true. And that's the, the thing to keep in mind that when you're looking at the total cost of doing anything, elapsed time has a cost associated sure. with it. Yeah. Total time of attention, too, I think is interesting. I mean, it's one thing for I was working on this, but how much time you need to think about it before you can make decisions or have stuff resolved. I think that, you know, getting stuff out of your head seems to me these days is so valuable that we don't have to think about this anymore because we've done the experiment and we have some results, however incomplete, but they're at least pointing us in a direction. It sounds like the oil and gas industry is more fun than you would think. It can be indeed the... um Oil company campuses are looking more like Silicon Valley campuses these days. Huh. Because they just – and is this really just a driver to need to be more efficient? Indeed. You know, the the costs are increasing. The Mm -hmm. oil and gas industry 
is uh, spending a lot of money to find oil and gas, mm-hmm. and they do need to be more efficient, and they're doing things with less people uh, than in the past. So fewer people, more precise work, uh, you know, more cycle time on all these things. Yeah, it sounds like this is a compute problem. So, uh, uh, the way you describe it, it's like software has eaten the oil and gas industry. Uh, the oil and gas industry loves software. <laughs> Well, John, this was a really fun conversation. It's just interesting to see how Azure is being applied in these different fields. I appreciate you spending the time to talk to us about it. Glad I could. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. 